tonight I want to do a message that I've, I've titled Grace um, is Pardon and Power. I want to talk around the pardon and power that is grace. And grace, the term grace is used a lot in Christian language, often as a cover for our shortcomings and our sins. Oh, grace covers me. Also, it can be about unmerited favour. Oh, you got a new car? It's the grace of God. But grace is so much more than that. I want to talk about that tonight. And this theme that we have, pursuit. I want to talk about some commonalities of people in the Bible who have pursued God. There are common traits that happen every great man of God, every great woman of God in the Bible. Things like faithfulness, things like stepping out on a word from God, things like standing up for truth against a culture that wants to tear it down. But there's also one other common trait, which is mission. That whenever somebody grows closer with God, whenever someone pursues God, they get swept up in the whirlwind that is the Missio Dei, which is the mission of God. Our God is a missional God. There's no standing still with God. He's always moving. And our relationship with God in the 21st century can sometimes be romanticized to a relationship where I love you, God, and you love me so much, let's sit on Netflix and just cuddle and watch something. Sometimes we romanticize our relationship with God, but, but that's not the type of relationship that God has with us. In fact, God's relationship with humanity is a, let's take the hill together. Let's go to war for the city together. Let's do battle together. Wherever God is, he is on mission. And so you cannot grow closer to God without going for God. They go hand in hand. You cannot grow closer with God and do nothing. That makes no sense at all. If you're, because as you grow closer to God, your hearts become more aligned. God's heart doesn't shift, but your heart starts to align with the heart of God. And God's heart's always for the world and for his people. So when your heart becomes aligned with God's heart, your heart becomes passionate and in pursuit of the same thing. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says this, For you are saved by grace through faith. That line is where we're going to really camp out tonight. Saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I love this, that you are created for good works. See, you are not an accident. You are put on the 21st century in Brisbane right now for a purpose. God sat down when he was writing the grand narrative of the whole world. Nothing's a surprise to God. Every little detail is taken care of. And he saw you and he saw the challenges that you'd face. He saw the workplace that you'd be in. He gave you the right gifts and the right talents. And he says, I've got a purpose for you. A specific one. There is a reason that you get out of bed every morning. Tomorrow morning, you can get out of bed and say, Monday sucks. But with God, you can get out of bed and say, I was born for this. You have a purpose with God. And the Bible says that it's good works, that it's not underwhelming, it's not boring, it's not dissatisfying, that it is good works. It's wholesome and holistic and satisfying that when you work with God is exciting. God has predestined good works for you to do. Now, God's holistic plan for humanity is reconciliation. If you look at from the start to the end of the Bible, there's this grand narrative through it where God is faithful to humanity. This is his purpose. He wants to reconcile the whole world to himself. 
That's why at the end, not everyone gets sucked up to heaven, but God brings heaven down to earth because he loves us and he loves the planet and he's trying to reconcile everyone to it. Now, our missio day, the mission of God, is to partner with God to bring that about, the reconciliation of humanity to God. That we are called to reach our world and influence it for good and for God. We are called to bring about a cultural reformation. That Christians need to bring life into the music world, the creative world, the sporting world, the business sector, by a whole range of, of different ways. Some people are gonna heal the sick. Some people are gonna have a rational and logical discussion with people. Some people are gonna cast out demons. Some people are gonna bring acts of service. Some people are gonna give out icy poles. Some people are just gonna be a good friend or have a good work ethic and that's gonna change lives around them. If you do these things, they can be good works if you do them for God. And I pray tonight that as City Point, we start to be awakened to the fact that with God, nothing is impossible. That when you are in a relationship with the God that created the whole universe, that breathes life into dust, that does miracles, that can strike Paul down, the guy who was beating and killing Christians and say, look, I've got a whole new purpose for you. He can change trajectory of lives like that. There is no impossible with God. And I pray that we as a church start to get a little bit of a sense that there's more for God, more for us in God. And so part of pursuing God is that we need to believe for more. As the church, we can get sucked into this comfortable faith where this is it, this is what I've seen, so that's what I'll expect. But tonight I wanna challenge you that part of pursuing God is to believe for more. So grace is pardon and grace is power. Ephesians 2 says this, you're saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. This, This miracle that it's talking about You are saved. Salvation is the greatest miracle that can ever happen on planet Earth. Salvation is not just where God has a list and then he sees your name and gives you a tick box like, yep, you're good, you can come into heaven. That is not the salvation process. Salvation is where this human heart, this human being gets regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That a person was once dead spiritually with a stone heart and God takes out their heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh that because Jesus was resurrected physically, you and I can be resurrected spiritually. And some people spend their whole lives in church and reading the Bible and listening to worship music and their hearts, affections and longings never change because they haven't been regenerated by the Holy Spirit on the inside. And if you don't have this process, this salvation, this is what salvation is, it's a regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And all this, church, following the Bible, it's just a Christian therapy or a coping mechanism without the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. That's the salvation process that happens in a human being's life that starts to turn the heart back towards God where it wasn't possible before that. Salvation is everything. This is the greatest miracle. And all other miracles are much smaller in comparison. But I know that if God can do the greatest miracle, if He can save a human soul, He can heal a human body. That if he can transform me in here, he can bring breakthrough out here. That if he can pay the cost for my sin, he can heal my poverty on the exterior. That's that's nothing for him. If he can defeat death, then he can give you the words and power to influence your world. Our God does the greatest miracle. And, And often it comes when we're believing for more, we think it's a faith issue. 
that if you can just have more faith, believe for more, muster it up. Come on, if we just muster it up, we'll believe for more, God will do it. And, and I thought like this for a long time. If I can just muster things up, I can just have more faith, then my friend will be healed. You know, if I can just have more faith, then God will bring a breakthrough in my business. Let me just concentrate a little bit harder. And so when I have that bigger faith, then I'll step out for God. But that's not what this verse says. This says, it kind of messed everything up for me because it says that salvation, the miracle happens through faith. Faith is the mechanism for the miracle, but it's not the power of it because you are saved by grace through faith. So faith is like this big pipeline that transfers the power of God into your life. But faith in itself is not the power, grace is the power. You are saved by grace through faith. This matters. For so many years of my journey, I tried to expand my faith. But it puts a works mentality on your faith that if I can just you know, extend my tent pegs and grow bigger, then I'll be a giant in the faith. But this is saying, and this is the reason the Bible says that you can have faith as small as a mustard seed tiny faith, you can cast a mountain into the ocean because faith is just a conduit between you and God. It's the connection. And if you have that connection, then the wave and the tidal wave of grace can flow into your life. Grace is this. Grace is the enabling power of God to achieve what's not possible by yourself. Grace is the enabling power of God to achieve what's not possible by yourself. You are saved by grace through faith. Salvation you can't do it by yourself. You cannot work hard enough into God's good graces. You cannot be virtuous enough to, or moral enough to get back in God's graces. You can do this much, but it's by God's grace that puts you in righteousness with God. See, God's grace fills the gap between what you can achieve by yourself and what God wants to do. God's grace fills the gap. Look at Moses. Moses coming up. He's leading the Israelites out of Egypt. They're fleeing. They're fleeing for their life. And he comes to this Red Sea. And God says to him, Moses, split the Red Sea. You look, read it. It doesn't say, I'm going to. He says, you do it. Imagine coming up, Pastor Ronan, split the Red Sea. And you're like, uh, I, I don't know how to do that. I've got a stick. Moses sits there with his stick. He has a stick like his whole journey. He sits here with a stick. I, I can't split the sea, but I got a stick. So he lifts up his stick. And that's all he could do. That was his ability and his capability. And even though that's where he was, this is what God called him to do. And God's grace fills the gap. By the power of God, the, splee, the sea split. And so often we can be, if, as soon as I know, as soon as I have the power to split the sea, then I'll go split the sea. But God is saying, no, grace fills the gap between what you are capable of and what God needs to do through you. And most of the time, we only see grace as covering our shortcomings and sin and giving us stuff that we don't deserve. But you need to catch this because if you don't want to be just a consumer Christian your whole life, if you want to read the book of Acts and think that's not just a history book, that's my right now, then you need to get this concept. My favorite example of what faith is, is, is one that Dan Joy gave me years ago. He talks about an astronaut. There's an astronaut in space. He's, uh, he's got his spaceship and he needs to go outside the spaceship to do some repairs, so he puts his spacesuit on and he gets outside his spaceship and he's uh, on the outside of the ship and there's this cord that goes from his spacesuit to the spaceship. I'd be careful with my pronunciation here. This one's not recorded, right? Yeah. 
and he's on the outside, and in his space suit, there naturally isn't any oxygen. It's by the cord that connects him to the spaceship. But there's oxygen in that, and through the cord comes the oxygen and keeps the astronaut alive. Faith is like that cord. In, in itself hasn't got the power, but it connects you to the one who does have the power. And you need to understand that because sometimes we try and grow our faith when really we need to lean on grace. So through faith, but it's the enabling power of grace that does it. There are two sides to grace as we see it. Grace that covers our bad, but that's not within our means to cover, and grace that allows us to do good and achieve things that we would never have been able to achieve in our own strength. Let me start with the pardon. Grace is pardon and power. Let's start with pardon. One of the most amazing things about the grace of Jesus is that it pardons. And, and pardon includes a lot of things, but grace allows you to redeem the regrets of your past. To pursue God into your future, you can't be shackled by the pains and the problems of your past. And often people live out a version of their future that is a reflection of their past. Like if they were hurt in their past, someone hurt them in a relationship, then the relationships of their future they don't trust very easily anymore because it's a reflection of what they've already experienced in their past. Or maybe they've failed at something at work in the past, and so as they are offered something new in the future, they're like, oh, I'm not confident to take that because I failed in the past, so I'll probably fail again in the future, and their futures become a reflection of their past. But only in God, only with the grace and enabling power of God that our, do our past regrets and our past failings, our past shortcomings get redeemed for good. Now, I'm, I'm not a very retrospective person. I'm not a very sentimental person. I don't have very good hindsight. And so when I was thinking, I need a story of when I've really regretted something. I couldn't really think of anything in my life. So naturally, I asked my wife, and surprisingly, she didn't have too much trouble thinking up things that I should have regretted. But, <laughs> but I realized that I'm, I'm not the only one that has stories of regret. In fact, if you look, don't look this up, but if you look up stories of regret on the internet, there are extremely depressing websites all over the place where people anonymously write in to share the regrets that they've been holding on to. Websites, people post regrets. I cheated on my husband. It's killing me from the inside out. My family's now split up. I wish I could have kept them together. I should have said something earlier. I let my colleague take my idea in a meeting. I didn't stand up for myself. And it goes on for like thousands of posts. This is a real thing that people carry, the regrets from their past, errors that they've made and never dealt with, and so it cripples their future. There's usually three main types of regret. There's regret of action. I did something I shouldn't have done. I experienced a lot of regret of action in my college years. Regret of inaction. I should have done something, but I didn't do it. James 4.17 says, if you know to do something good and you don't do it, to you that is sin. That if God says do something, whether it be act in a certain way, buy someone something, speak something, pray something, you feel that it is a prompting of the Holy Spirit to do it and you do not do it, that is sin. Because sin is independent thought and action from God. And you're choosing your own path instead of relying on God. Regret of action, regret of inaction, and there's regret of reaction. That you're living in something that has taken something from you, but it's not really your fault which is what we see a lot of in this season that maybe in COVID season, something stole something from you. A job got stolen, friends got stolen, time with families got stolen. You can have regrets from your past even in this season 
that stop you moving into your future. These three things keep so many people living in the past, living there that they cannot rely on the enabling grace of God to do the great things and the things that they're called to in the future. And, and, and Peter, I'm gonna use this, the story of Peter here to show how grace can redeem it and pardon it. There's this word um, that's mentioned twice in the New Testament, anthrakia, and it appears in two scriptures alone in the New Testament, in the whole Bible. And I wanna go through both because this word anthrakia brings them together. The first scripture comes from Luke chapter 22, verses 55 to 62. This is where Jesus has been taken away. He's gonna be delivered to the cross and Peter's in the courtyard. He's just had this dinner with Jesus saying, I will never leave you. Here's a guy who's given up his whole life to follow Jesus. And then we get to this moment in the courtyard because he's chased Jesus down and this is what happens. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard. This fire, that's that right there, anthrakia. It's like a coal fire. In the middle of the courtyard and they sat down together and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light, he looked closely at him. Oh, this man was with Jesus too. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know you. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, oh, you're one of them as well. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting. This man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Imagine right in that moment, can you imagine locking eyes with your saviour across the courtyard, the one that you professed, be like, I'll die with you. In that moment, you've just denied him three times. That's, that would be the last time before Jesus goes to the cross that he sees the look in Jesus' eyes. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Here's something that could cause someone to spiral into depression. If you want a reason for anxiety, betraying God is a pretty good reason. This is an incredible regret. There's regret of inaction, that he should have stood up for Jesus but didn't. And there's regret of action, that he did something that he shouldn't have done in denying Jesus. And so this could send anybody into a spiral, something in their past. Jesus said, this is the rock. This is the guy, the guy that I'm gonna build my church on, this guy who's denied Jesus three times. How can you possibly pull someone like that back to a, a potential and a, a future? John 21 goes into the next scripture, which says this anthrakia word, John 21, seven to 17. Jesus has risen from the dead, but he hasn't revealed himself to everybody yet. And uh, the disciples are out fishing. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord, because the disciples are out fishing in a boat and there's this guy on the beach. It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, imagine how desperate you were. I get a chance to make things right. This is the guy I betrayed. I think some of us would have the exact same reaction, this desperation to get to Jesus. Sometimes we need a desperation to get to Jesus again. It would be convenient for Peter to wait in the boat till he got back there, but he, he got desperate. And here it says he jumps in the water. He plunges into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about 100 yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there. There's that word again. But around one fire, denial happens, but around this fire, something else happens. With fish lying on it and bread. 
Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, someone counted. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, what are the first words that some of us would say to someone who's betrayed us, maybe? (laughs) Maybe it would be like, why'd you do that? Jesus could have asked, why did you do that? But that's not what he does. That's not how grace redeems the regrets of your past. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he said. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Then shepherd my sheep, he told them. He asked them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked the third time. Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. I love the the poetry of this, that around the fire, three times there was a denial, three nails in the coffin of Peter. But then around this fire, it's like Jesus pulls out each and every nail by asking him, do you love me? And not just that, but straight away, it's not just a pat on the back that redeems the regrets from our past. And just Jesus coming and be like, yes, I know you've stuffed up. It's okay, it's okay. That's not how you redeem the regrets of your past. When Jesus' enabling power comes into your life, he calls you into the purpose. Where he denied him, he said, no, come and feed my sheep. Feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep. You are still the rock on which I will build my church. Three times Peter denied Jesus, but Jesus chases him down. God's grace fills the gap. Peter cannot redeem himself. You cannot redeem yourself from the shortcomings of your past. Only the grace of God can do that. And Jesus isn't willing to let your past inhibit the good works that he has predestined for you. And you might say, well, I know God had works destined for me, but I'm a mess now. I've been through this. I've been with this many people. I've slept around. How can I be a vessel for God? Or I'm, I'm substance abusing in this way, or I'm so proud, or I'm so fearful. The same good works can still be for you in your life because when grace can redeem the regrets of your past, nothing is lost with God. Nothing is lost with God. When your mistakes are weighed up with the grace of God, the grace of God will win every single time. The grace flows in, enabling us to move past our inaction, our sins, and through terrible circumstances with this incredible assurance that there's good ahead. And, and maybe you're here today with something that needs to be redeemed from your past. Maybe it's, how, maybe it's a career choice that didn't go the way. Maybe you've been a bad friend and you've burnt bridges with friends or burn bridges in your family or you regret how you've represented God in different circumstances or you regret opportunities that have been missed. Nothing's wasted with God. There is no situation too far gone that the grace of God cannot come in and redeem it. The grace of God can fill the gap between you and forgiveness. You may not be able to feel like, "I, I can't. I can't go to that person and forgive them for the hurt. God's grace can fill that gap. God's grace fills the gap between you and bitterness and you and wholeness. Some people just need to surrender that that habit that's between you and God today. Jesus 
can make you whole again, but it requires a surrender, just like Peter did again, a, a plunging into the sea, an inconvenient, desperate pursuit of God. That's where the redeeming grace comes into your life. Nothing is wasted with God. Grace pardons our past when we pursue God. But then there's this relatively unspoken side of grace as well. This unspoken side which I want to talk about, which is God's enabling grace. I look at giants in the faith, and this is the part that's really exciting. We, we love that it can cover sin. Actually, I just want to touch on that for a moment. A lot of people in our 21st century, we don't see that as such a great thing anymore because in a world of grace, sometimes we don't identify ourselves with needing the grace of God to cover our sin because we can't even identify the own, our own sin in our life. What we need to do as Christians is use the Word of God as a mirror. Not anyone's opinions, not if you feel like you need grace or feel something was wrong. We all need the grace of God and if you don't think it's for you, you need it for your pride. <laughs> we, every single one of us needs the grace of God to redeem something or cover something for us to grow forward. But grace also empowers us for a future. If you look at the giants of the faith, I love reading stories about Billy Graham and Reinhard Bonnke. And these guys burnt more faith than anybody. These guys did incredible things. They were just regular people, yet they did some incredible things that seemed to be so far beyond any of our ability. How did they do it? See, I believe the Christian should burn more grace than the sinner. I believe that every one of us should be using more of God's grace to do the miraculous than it took for Him to cover our failures and our shortcomings. These guys, Reinhard Bonnke, Billy Graham, there's revivals in Africa where millions of people would come. Can they do it? One man, could one person come and be like, I'm gonna get millions of people saved? Not a chance. That's, this is their ability. This is what God's called them to do. And the grace of God fills the gap. They burnt truckloads of grace. They burnt truckloads of it every day. They learned to operate. They learned to live in a place where they operated with grace in their life. We can get used to operating in a place where I know my ability and this is where I'll stay. And I don't wanna believe for more than that because it might not come true or I might burn out. But with God's grace filling the gap, we need to learn to operate in a place. That's where the impossible starts to happen. If you live at this place, if you have faith in your own ability, you don't need God. If you can, you can live your life, you can be comfortable, but we need to start to stretch and start to live in a place, not a faith issue, but a relying on the grace of God that if He has saved you, He can do the miraculous through you. This transforms our mundane. This transforms our day-to-day. -day. This transforms every boring moment into the potential of something divine and miraculous happening. Divine interactions can take place with you every day, even if you don't feel like it. You may feel like an insignificant Christian, that you don't have it all together. That's the perfect place for God's power to start working. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 12, seven to nine. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. This is Paul. A messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. This is a side note. Some people need to see the thorn in their flesh not as a downfall, but something to keep them humble. <laughs> Paul was wary of getting too proud because he was kicking goals for the kingdom. And he asked God to take it away from him, but he said, 
He was sent there so he would not exalt himself. He started to see that without this thing, he was gonna be proud and pride takes you out of the game. I concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. God's power is not perfected in your strength. God's power is perfected in your weakness. His grace is sufficient. Pastor Mark told a story this morning of when he was uh, just starting pastor and he pastored up in Noosa. He was about three years in and he had some really long-standing um, members of the church. They'd been in the faith for a long time and they said to him, Pastor Mark, we need some teaching on fasting. And so he's like, all right, I'll teach on fasting. And he told the story this morning that he did his research and he got up there and he started teaching on fasting and he felt so guilty the biggest hypocrite because he hadn't fasted a day in his life until that point. And so he's teaching on fasting, he's feeling guilt-ridden. And in that moment, he's like, I, I can't be up here anymore. And so he closes the service. It's a smaller church. If they get one or two people that make decisions for Christ, they celebrate with all they are. Any decision is great. And so at the end, he's like, oh, I'm wrapping this thing up. Anyone wanna give their life to Christ? And eight people put their hands up of one of the worst messages that he thought he'd ever done because it's not about our strength. His grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in your weakness. We need to start relying on the grace of God again. You don't need to be perfect or even whole for the grace of God to do extraordinary things in your life. We can believe for more, not because we have to muster up a greater faith, but because the grace of God flows down what little faith that we have. Faith is just the conduit. It's His grace, it's His power, it's His will. And we need to live in a world where we're not just hearers, but doers of the Word. God's power is perfected in our weakness. And, and sometimes we like to wait for a transformation in our own lives before we step out in prayer or step out and give a word or step out in generosity. We wait for something in here to happen before we be out there. When I'm, when I'm a giant in here, when I'm stronger, when, I, when I'm like the pastor or I've been to Bible college or whatever it may be, that is your qualification of stepping out for God. But, but in this, God is saying, no, as you are, as imperfect as you are, the divine can happen because my grace is sufficient. I, God sees the mundane and He sees the simple and He sees your day to day, sees the coffee shops you go to, and He can turn every regular moment into an exciting he can give it purpose. He gives it meaning. I look at Moses again with his stick. He goes through the desert and his, the whole nation are perishing because they don't have water. And so he takes the two most common things you can find, a stick and a rock. And he hits the rock with the stick because that's all he can do in his ability. And water starts flowing out of the rock and it refreshes the whole nation. Inside you is the living water that can refresh the people around you if you'll only surrender your mundane and your day-to-day -day and believe that the grace of God can make up the gap. In your own strength, it might just be a prayer. But when the grace of God fills the gap, it turns into a healing or it turns into a strengthening or it turns into freedom. For you, it might just be a conversation. That's what your ability is. But when the grace of God can come into it, it might end up the truth being spoken to that person that sets them free. We cannot ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit anymore just to do our bit. 
We cannot be consumer Christians anymore who come to church and tick the box and that makes us okay by God. When we grow closer to God, we start to walk closer to the missio day, the mission of God, mission of God. When you pursue God, you start your mundane and your abilities start to be filled with the grace of God to do the extraordinary. Grace pardons and grace empowers. And sometimes we can think that once I get this, once I understand this a bit more, once I think through it and understand it, then I'll start to live it. But you can't think your way into a new way of living. Now the Bible always shows that we have to live our way into a new way of thinking and a new way of believing. It starts with changing the way you live. Our call has never been to fabricate a miraculous moment that if someone needs prayer in your workplace, you don't have to dim the lights and and pray that this is gonna be all a holy moment. That's God's part, don't do God's part. Do your part, just your individual part, say a prayer. You don't have to close your eyes and lay hands or any of that, you don't have to get all weird about it. You just bring your ability Bring what you have to the table and believe that the grace of God will fill the gap. You need to start learning to operate where God's grace fills the gap. This takes the pressure of us because you don't have to feel faith. You don't have to feel good about it. You don't have to have the emotions for it or muster it up. You just have to walk worthy of the call. Be obedient in the daily. Step out with whatever faith, whether it be strong or mediocre and God's grace does the rest. We see Grace is unmerited favour, it's undeserved mercy, but do you see it as the enabling power of God to do the miraculous through your life? I encourage you to burn grace this week, burn truckloads of it. Do you do things that you couldn't have possibly done in your own strength? Heal the sick, free people from oppression. The Bible says we can and God's Word doesn't change, so we can. Pray like your city depends on it. I believe in a miraculous God because I believe in a God of grace. God who is with you fills the gap with His grace. For you are saved by grace through faith. Let me pray for us today as we close. God, we don't have to be spiritual giants and have this fake bravado to be powerful ministers of your gospel. God, would you help us to bring what we do have? Like Moses, if we've got a stick, we'll bring a stick. Let us bring our day-to-day, our mundane, what we have in our hands, if we can bring it and believe that the divine can happen, God, would your grace do the rest? We surrender our lives and our regrets of the past right now in this moment. If you need to surrender something from your past that's been holding on, that's been tainting your future that's been shackling you to a a past that won't release you into your potential right now, just like Jesus chased Peter down and His grace redeemed him. I just sense the Holy Spirit redeeming people by His grace in their life, setting them free of failure. Some people see themselves as a failure, that all they've ever done is failed or maybe by an influential person in your life, a parent, They've seen you as a failure. And so deep down, you've seen yourself as a failure. But right now, Jesus doesn't see you that way. Nothing's wasted with God. He sees you as a success. He can redeem you right now if you just surrender that to Him. Some people have different titles over their name. I'm just an anxious person. I'm just a 
wound up person, but, but God can redeem the things that have made you an anxious person. The Bible says be anxious for nothing, but we are called to be people of peace. God can redeem our past. And I sense tonight that even in this moment, some people are gonna start stepping out and operating in this place of grace, this place where God has to show up. There's, there's pastors in this room that haven't yet been called because God is, is waiting for you to step out and bring what you have. There's business leaders in this room that haven't yet been called because God is waiting for you to step out into this place of grace. God is gonna use some of you to burn grace and do miraculous things in your workplaces and miraculous things in this season. We thank you, Lord, for all you're doing in hearts in this moment. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the greatest grace that has ever been. And it's, I'm just gonna read this verse while our eyes are closed still. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Grace of God appeared. Grace of God appeared in a person. That Jesus Christ came, the enabling power of God came as a person. That it's not believing in this God that we can't see or, or feel or touch or have no real proof of, but when we believe in God, just like that astronaut with the cord connected to the spaceship, some people today, their faith isn't in God. Their connection's not with God. And right now that, that faith needs to be restored. If you're honest with yourself, there's some people in this place who have put their faith in, in money. Or they've put their faith in other people. They're relying on something else to make them feel whole and satisfied. But right now God is saying, now put your faith back in me. And in this place today, there's some people who maybe it is because the, re, the regrets of your past are playing on your mind, but you know that you need to just come back into a relationship with Jesus most important decision that you could ever make. This redeeming faith, this beautiful grace is gonna come into your life and change everything. That salvation that I talked about at the start and maybe you've been here and been through the motions, but you haven't had that regeneration from the Holy Spirit that comes when you declare Jesus as the Lord of your life right now. If that is you and you need to have that regeneration, you need salvation, you need that relationship with Jesus, I just wanna invite you to raise your hand so I can pray with you in this place. Thank you, I see that hand. Anyone else today? Thank you. I see that hand in the middle. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand near the front. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you for the hands that went up that signified hearts opening up. God, we know in this moment, we lay down our lives. Salvation is laying down our lives and agendas and opinions and saying, Jesus, You are the Lord of my life. You are the Saviour of my soul. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit takes up a residency in our heart for every decision that was just made, that understands the gravity of this moment. Holy Spirit, would You do Your regeneration in their heart, Your regenerative work right now in their heart? Where there was anxiety, there'll be now peace. Where there was chaos, there'll be clarity. Where there was hate, there will be love. Lord God, as the fruits of Your Spirit start to grow in their life, we thank You for salvation that has come into these lives today. In Jesus' Name, Amen. 
and amen. Put our hands together for every decision that happened today. Amazing decisions, amazing decisions.